everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Clean Techies, the podcast. This is season two, episode 11, or if you're counting from the beginning, it's episode 23. Very excited to have you back with us, and as always, please do subscribe if you want to be notified for this content in the future, and do all the normal things you would do to be kind of involved and to get the notifications. Obviously, we've got lots of notifications, so if it's something important to you, we appreciate you tuning in. So just a quick reminder before we do get into the show notes today, uh, that this show is <clears throat> partially sponsored by Next Wave Partners. Uh, Next Wave Partners is a specialty recruitment firm uh, covering markets across the globe within the ESG, climate tech, sustainability, renewable energy, and technology spaces. So uh, Next Wave is very good at providing elite human capital solutions for companies that are growing, entering new markets. Uh, we also work with a lot of candidates looking to kind of transition their careers. So definitely reach out to Next Wave Partners if you're interested in either growing your team or kind of making the next step in your career. <clears throat> you can do that a couple of different ways. You can reach out to them directly at info at next-wavepartners.com. You can also reach out to one of their consultants and you can find which consultant might be best for you to reach out via their website, which is next-wavepartners.com. And under the team section, you'll find a good consultant to help you there. Also want to make mention, of course, to our new sponsor that joined us as of last week, Tiago Energy. Tiago, we will talk a little bit more about them at the end of the show. Um, but let's with that, let's get into into the ep- the episode details. So very excited for today's episode was was speaking with Heidi Lindvall, uh, a general partner at Pale Blue Dot. So another venture capital um, discussion that we had today, kind of in the climate tech investing space. And it was very, very interesting this one because they, she had an interesting perspective in terms of how she ended up in the space and what her perspective is from being an entrepreneur and now being, in the role of holding the purse strings for for the companies that are looking to to grow, so very interesting there. Um, I think there, there was a couple other things that were really stuck out to me, which were how she how she discussed how young people can kind of orient their careers if they want to make a difference. She she talked about entrepreneurship and how important that is. Um, we also had a really interesting part of the conversation where we kind of talked about what can the U.S. learn from how Europe has done things. So I thought that was very interesting as well. Uh, just a very very good to hear her perspective coming from the European market and having been very involved there and kind of obviously they're they're a bit ahead of the curve compared to the U.S. in a lot of these areas. So very interesting conversation. Really enjoyed speaking with Heidi and I hope you enjoy the conversation we had. So with that, let's get in. Let's get into the show. All right. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast, Heidi. How are you doing today? Thank you for having me. I'm doing great today. Thank you. Awesome. Very, very glad to have you on today. Um, I guess for everybody listening, could you just start start us off with giving a quick intro to, to who you are and kind of what you've done and maybe some of your accomplishments? Sure. Uh, so my name is Heidi Lindvall. I am a general partner at Pale Blue Dot. Pale Blue Dot is an 87 million euro climate tech fund based in Malmö, Sweden, although we invest all around Europe and US. So we are an early stage fund. We invest in pre-seed to seed stage startups, generally ticket sizes between 200,000 euros and 2 million euros uh, into climate tech startups. And for us, climate tech is very wide. We see climate tech startups in all different sectors in fintech, mobility, food and agriculture, uh, energy, fashion, supply chain, you name it. Essentially, every sector will need to uh, be on board to become kind of more climate positive for the future. Um, and my background is actually in human rights. I used to travel around the world making documentaries on social and global issues and really try to tell stories from the ground. I then went into tech about 10 years ago, actually started building my own companies. 
really try to be part of the solution and try to figure out how we could use technology to solve a lot of the problems that we have. Um, built a few companies, went through the kind of full startup journey, um, been based in London, Berlin and Silicon Valley. And, um, and after that, I have then built also a few accelerators. I, I've set up a micro fund um, and uh, yeah, then started this fund together with two of my partners last year. So that's kind of that's kind of my journey short. Absolutely. That that's a pretty incredible journey. I mean, you've done quite a lot of things. So I guess I'm curious to know, maybe first of all, um, what specifically was the the kind of the the impetus to start Pale Blue Dot? Like I, I know obviously you've done a lot of things in the space, but what really led you to to launch this with your partners? Sure. So there's a few reasons um, that I personally kind of decided to get involved with this. One of the ones was, one of the reasons is that, um, as I mentioned, I kind of came into tech about 10 years ago now. And, and it really was because I was pretty frustrated with, um, with uh, what was actually happening in tech. And I felt that there was so much potential. There were so many smart people, great technologies out there, but yet it felt like the main things coming out of specifically Silicon Valley at the time uh, weren't really the type of solutions that we needed for the world. They weren't specifically solving the biggest problems that we have. They were kind of nice convenience things that made life a little bit more fun and a little bit easier, uh, but not necessarily really addressing those key challenges. And as mentioned, I was kind of working in human rights at the time, and I felt like there was so much potential if we could only use technology to solve some of these problems. So essentially, that has been the tra trajectory that I have been on the past 10 years with building my businesses with building accelerators and with investing and and um with our kind of micro fund a few years ago we kind of started talking about whether we could just do this on a larger scale and we also felt like there was a need for change in the vc industry um we we needed more operators we need more entrepreneurs um and we need more people kind of solving the really big issues so essentially um people in the impact investment space and um at that time, we started looking at whether we should do impact in general, whether we should try to figure out a niche there, whether we should just do climate, and, and really did a lot of research into the space to try to understand where is this going? Uh, where do we feel like we can have the biggest impact? And, we, and at the time, climate tech wasn't even a word that was really being used yeah. widely. And I mean, this is only two years ago, so it feels crazy to say that. But it really wasn't something that was really being talked about. And then we thought that maybe there's a gap here because climate tech is it's, it's so important for us to think about how to solve these problems within climate. Yet we don't really have the language and the knowledge um, to, to put VC money towards this space. Um, and then we thought that this was just such a great opportunity in every way. Um, you know, I, everyone, countries were kind of saying that they're going to become net zero in 2030 or 2050. Companies like Amazon, et cetera, were doing these huge climate pledges and said, we're going to put light, lots of uh, money towards, towards being climate neutral. We see loads of, we saw loads of um, former founders that said that they want to spend their time on climate and doing something more important um, for the next companies. And then, of course, there's been this huge consumer awareness in, in recent years where consumers have been demanding to have more transparency and have more knowledge about uh, all different industries. So we kind of felt like with all these forces coming together, isn't climate the obvious thing that we should be investing in right now? 
Uh, and then we set up Pale the Dot. That was really it. And, and I mean, we went out fundraising with that in mind. Um, we were very lucky to close our first um, round of, well, essentially kind of get, do a first close within, within just kind of six months uh, after starting fundraising um, and getting some great investors on board. Um, so we, we, we closed at 53 million euros first, and we did a second close this year at 87 million euros. And yeah, we've so far invested in 14 companies. So we've been super busy for the past 16 months. Well, for yeah, the past that, two years and started fundraising, yeah, that, really. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's very interesting. You know, I'm really curious to know about a little bit about maybe the history and the landscape of clean tech and climate tech. Um, investing, just kind of the the background throughout the EU, because I know a lot of people who listen to this are familiar with kind of clean tech 1.0 in the US and then now clean climate tech, what they refer to. So I'm curious to know a little bit about what the landscape was. Obviously, you know, we've seen these uh, net zero targets coming out, but I just would be curious to have some more context there. Sure. So first of all, um, we tend to use climate tech a little bit differently than, than kind of clean tech. So a lot of people are always trying to figure out is clean tech, climate tech, green tech, are these all the same terms? And, and honestly, at the time, no one had really defined them. So we kind of have our own definition of it as well. But for us, you know, clean tech, it was a lot about renewable energies, uh, a lot about uh, a, a lot kind of very high capex research based. And sometimes things are that, that just take so long to get to market that they're not necessarily completely um, compliant or not compliant, but a completely um, good match with VC money, essentially. And, um, and from what we saw from the kind of what happened with, with the kind of clean tech uh, bubble in the US is that software was pretty much the only thing that really worked and where, where investors made a lot of money. So when we say climate tech, we actually often mean um, the kind of lighter VC scalable models that that kind of come into climate and like i said for us it's so much wider than just energy and renewable um and renewable energy sources i mean for us we do SaaS platforms marketplaces with recyclable plastic SaaS platforms for material intelligence um software for enabling evs um you, you know using data and satellite imagery to for a climate risk assessment or for or to prevent forest fires, et cetera. So really is, for us, it's a lot about using that kind of technology and specifically software layer, um, but still doing kind of things that are positive for the climate. Um, so, so that's kind of how we define kind of climate tech. Um, and in terms of what's happened in Europe, I mean, I think, I think uh, Europe has, uh, because we have been a little bit earlier in terms of the net zero targets and in terms of regulations and in terms of our kind of green deal. Um, there have been a lot of companies here um, that have really set up in this space a bit earlier. And I mean, we've had a, a lot of money kind of flow into this space without really having the companies and the solutions to actually uh, help us get to those targets. So now we are all kind of catching up that we're trying to figure out that, hold mm -hmm. on, we put a target for 2030 and we still have no clue on how to, how to solve it. So there's a lot of money flowing in. And I think due to the regulations, as well as um, the targets uh, from the governments, I think that um, I think Europe is going to be where this is going to happen um, fastest. And this is why we feel like it's such a great opportunity to do this in Europe. And I mean, we're seeing there were some climate tech funds kind of coming up in the U.S. a bit earlier, but a lot of them are also very interested in investing in Europe. 
because they're also realizing that that certain things like certain regulations and certain tests are moving a bit quicker over here. Yeah, that's something that is very fascinating to me is the the regulation side of things. So I'd be curious to know from your perspective, what have been some of the biggest things that maybe people in the U.S. could learn from or could expect hypothetically within regulation? What was the role of regulation in helping kind of really kickstart these things in the EU? Uh, I'd just be curious to hear your thoughts and kind of maybe what you observed was, was really helpful and what didn't work. Sure. I mean, I think it's too early to say what didn't work, at least. Uh, I mean, I am not an expert in or, all in, in the regulations, but there's definitely some that, that we uh, have been kind of following and looking at, but it's very kind of company specific, depending on what mm-hmm. company we invest in and what area they're in. For example, um, there has been some regulation around what to do with uh, overstocks of clothing uh, and whether mm-hmm. you're allowed to incinerate clothing. And now that has led to a lot of secondhand like and rental models come up because these brands are having loads of clothes and overstocks that before they used to incinerate just to keep the value of the brand and not just kind of essentially give it away for free. But now they're not allowed to do it anymore. And that means that they have to, one, change how they produce their items to make sure that they reduce wastes and overstocks. But two, they have to get rid of these overstocks in a smarter way uh, and, and actually understand the whole life cycle of those clo- of that clothing. So there's so many different business models coming up in fashion, whether it is rental, whether it is just finding out the sustainability data uh, and or whether it is trying to make sure that you are only uh, creating uh, clothes on demand, for example, just due to that. Um, another thing, a lot of countries are now looking at um, having certain kind of subsidies for people to buy secondhand in general. And of course, that is really helping the whole sharing economy uh, with multiple different business models uh, in, in, in multiple different spaces. Um, there, we're also looking at regulations in different <laughs> countries around plastics. Uh, and of course, that means that there is a demand for new materials. A lot of people are trying to figure out how to recycle in much better ways than before. We have some recycle to recyclable um, or I mean, um, marketplaces for recycled plastics, for example, um, which before have been so much recycled plastic has been so much more expensive than virgin plastic. It just didn't make sense. But if the regulations coming in saying that you have to recycle your plastics or, and you have to know what happens to life cycle or you can't produce more or you pay heavy taxes if you do produce um, more new plastics, et cetera, then of course that's changing full industries. So those are just to mention a few, but um, I feel like we're seeing these in every different industry right now. And we actually have a head of research and insights in-house who's really trying to keep track of things and try to help us understand um, where the opportunities are. Um, but it is very hard because it's uh, it's an enormous space and so much is happening. And like I said, because we, we see climate uh, tech as like a horizontal thing rather than a vertical, um, it's very hard for us to kind of keep track of what's happening within every single sector of the world. But so a lot of the times it is, it does come from the startups themselves and them telling us, and then we start digging into it and really trying to understand if that is a good business case or not. Yeah, that makes sense to me because it's not um, it's not like you can just invest in one industry, right? There, There's every industry going to be reinvented, which is why I find this super exciting. Obviously, it is a big challenge, climate climate change in general, but it's very, also very exciting to see all the innovation. And I love I love new technology and new things. So this, this is a this is a good time for me to be alive, I think. Um, <laughs> in in terms of 
what Pale Blue Dot does. Like, I want to know maybe some of the nuances of what you do differently compared to other climate tech startups. It sounds like you, you mentioned a researcher in-house. Uh, that sounds something like, like something I've never heard before. Um, just like curious to hear some of the nuances of what you do differently and, and kind of how you set yourself apart. Sure. Um, so one of the things to mention is that all three of us who started the fund together are kind of former entrepreneurs. We've all built our own businesses ourselves. Um, we all kind of have a background in that, have been building other accelerators, uh, community organizations and other support systems for entrepreneurs. So we have a pretty good idea of, first of all, we've done the journeys ourselves and we have a pretty good idea of what kind of the ups and downs that startups go through. So we do work really closely with the founders that we invest in uh, to really try to help them through this journey. Um, and, and of course, a lot of this is, you know, there's of course a lot of great VCs who are also have kind of entrepreneurial backgrounds, but a lot of VCs don't. A lot of VCs tend to come from the financial industries or management consulting, etc. It, it might not necessarily have had the kind of same um, experience on the ground running startups and, and a hustling 24/7. Um, so that is definitely one thing that I think sets us apart. Um, and, and of course, that also means that we do things a bit differently. Since we don't have that background, we're trying to figure out that what did we not like when we were going through this. Um, I mean, as an example, I, I see a lot of the challenges that I, I had myself as a female founder fundraising and, and, and what I faced. So I'm trying to make sure that we try to remove as many of those barriers as possible mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that we can get a wider pool of um, founders who can actually easily get to us without having to kind of get into the bubble, which is, is how it's, it's been before. And of course, a lot of founders are working on that, but it's something that's very important and very personal um, to me specifically. Um, then the other thing, as you mentioned, is that we have a researcher in-house. So we have a head of research and insight in-house. And before we hired for this full-time role, we had a uh, an intern in-house that would do climate research for us. And again, this is because it's a, such a complicated space and we re realize we're spending so much time on just trying to understand where the biggest opportunities are. And, and it was, you know, we already have the big job of trying to evaluate a startup um, and the founders and, and their backgrounds and, and um, the markets and everything else but then also trying to understand that is this the best thing from a climate perspective and uh, just is a, a super big job. So we're super happy to have Lindsay in house now who really takes some of that off our plate and makes us feel more prepared when we go into an investment because we really understand is this um, where we should be investing. But, and it, but it does mean that we do tend to make some really difficult decisions where we see um, for example, we could see that a lab-grown version of lab-grown fish could be a huge market, and we think this there would be demand for it. But then we try to ask ourselves, is this actually the best thing for the climate? And then we realize, well, for the climate, plant-based foods are actually better. And actually, if you look at plant-based foods, then you say, well, ocean-grown foods like seaweed could actually be even better than land-grown plants. So then we constantly try to see what's actually the best from a climate perspective. So mm. it does mean we kind of tend to go down uh, into a rabbit hole and really try to figure out, okay, so seaweed is a focus area for us. So for example, we, we did do an investment in, in a company that makes a tuna-like product out of seaweed, uh, which are amazing. But it really is because we spent so long on just starting with meat and fish and then kind of going down to figure out actually is that 
where we should be investing as a climate fund. Um, and yeah, I think that sets us apart um, because it means that sometimes there are obvious great investment areas um, where we wouldn't invest just due to the fact that we don't believe it's the best thing for climate. Uh, and, then, and then of course, climate needs to be core um, to the investments that we make. It's not enough that, you know, oh, we reduce some paper and therefore it'll be good for the environment. It really has to be the core. So the founders really have to do this for the right reasons, essentially. Um, and, and of course, yeah, we put a lot of weight on that. So those are the few things that sets us apart. But in general, I also think that if you ask our portfolio, I would, I would think that they say that, you know, we're pretty... We're pretty down to earth. We're, we, all of our emails are on our website. We're very easy to kind of approach. We don't have any kind of hierarchies. If you have a meeting with one of, the, one of us, it's a meeting with one of the GPs. So it's always a meeting with a decision maker. And, you know, we really try to, try to kind of talk to people directly and not kind of build huge organizations with huge bureaucracy and, and hierarchies. So, so, yeah, we're trying to be a little bit smaller and a little bit different in that way as well. Yeah, that makes sense. It makes the barriers to entry a little bit, a little bit uh, lower. That's that's interesting. Yeah. You know, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts in in general on the idea behind larger companies, right? Obviously, you you guys are obviously motivated by climate change, but at the same time, also looking for success. But yet, as you grow, you might have to make a decision where it's like, how how can we do that? So, would you just say that your thoughts are more on promoting many funds or many small organizations or what, what are your thoughts there on, on kind of organization size and how we can keep those barriers low? Um, you mean if we can kind of VC landscape in general, like, like what kind of funds yeah. there should be? Um, I, I mean, I guess it has to, of course, do with how big the fund is themselves, how much money they have in management, how, how uh, you know, much staff they need in order to, in order to, um, essentially invest that in a smart way. So I guess it's hard to say that what kind of the ideal structure is, but I think for us that do early stage and in, at early stage in Mustang, I think it's so important to know the founders and to work closely with them and to meet the right partners. It really is someone that you hopefully will work with for you know close to 10 years. Um, so at our stage, I think I think the ideal size is to be a small fund. I mean, we decided ourselves actually to to um, close the fund a bit smaller than we could have, and we probably won't do a much bigger second fund just because um, we would have to create so much more kind of hierarchy and, and so much more structure. And already and already now we're kind of trying to figure out that can we remain. Um, can, can we continue the way that we wanted to set up without having to hire associates, for example, um, an analyst just based on the deal flow we get? That the bigger we get, the more deal flow we get, the harder it might, of course, be for us to, to stay the size. And then whether we get more, go more niche in order to have less deal flow and be more uh, and concentrate more, or whether we get more partners, um, I don't know yet. Um, but yeah, for early stage, I think this type of funds is, is actually ideal. And I do think that a lot of startups I speak with are actually not really interested going with the really big funds where you get like one partner and one name just because they feel like they want to know more about, you know, the LPs and they want to have a closer connection with all the partners, et cetera. Um, so so I, I think we're moving to a place where people are expecting that for early stage. Now saying that if you're doing series even a but specifically kind of b c d e then i think it's a very different ball game because then you need to 
then you will evaluate these companies so much more based on metrics and based on performance mm-hmm. than it is about the single founder or founders themselves. And, and at that point, maybe, I don't know if it's as important anymore. Mm-hmm. So, so I think, yeah, for early stage, I think this is, a, this is pretty much an ideal setup. And I do think that we're going to see a lot more smaller funds kind of let's say up to 150 or maybe 200 million, but smaller than that, investing in that space. And, and, uh, and yeah, I, I hope there'll be more, more uh, open doors, open office hours, and very easy access to partners um, and, and less hierarchy. And I, I think there's a demand for it from the founders themselves. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that given the, the need for so much innovation in the space, it's probably very important that, um, that we have more access to the seed capital, right? Because I've I've noticed that it seems like a lot a lot of the press goes to the big funding rounds, right? And you don't typically yeah. hear about the seed as much because sometimes they might not, you know, they might not make it as big, right? Maybe they do something successful, but maybe it's not as big. So that's that's good to hear. Um, I'm curious, you know, what have been some of the technologies or just things that were that you learned along this journey of, you know, being able to see loads of different types of companies that what were some of the most fascinating things you found or just kind of the big areas for growth that you see within climate tech in the very near future? Um, I think I'm constantly changing what I'm very excited about, to be honest. Uh, but I think at the moment myself, as a kind of technologies, I'm still very excited about how we can use just the knowledge that we kind of acquired and how to build platforms and marketplaces <laughs> and, uh, and, and uh, SaaS companies, for example, and just within this space, because there's so many solutions. Uh, I mean, there's so many problems out there. And sometimes we don't need to have to completely reinvent the wheel in terms of how to build a whole new technology to solve this. It's actually something that's it's out there and it's been done. It just hasn't been done for the space itself. So I feel like just by adding uh, digital solutions to a lot of uh, a lot of different sectors um, is really just kind of the way to go forward and just optimize how we, whether you're optimizing it, how we use energy or your consumption or your um, understanding um, how to optimize um, transport routes, for example, or whether it is about uh, banking and, and money management and for people to have more transparency in how your pension is, is allocated or how your savings, uh, where they go into, et cetera. And I think it's just a lot more about uh, just, yeah, just more awareness and more control and more transparency. So, so I think that's what I'm actually most excited about. Then, of course, we do need some actual technologies in terms of carbon capture, for example. But the problem sometimes tends to be that they are very hard for us as VCs to invest in because they might require so much capital. They might require so much research, so, such just high capex companies, um, and, and we won't see them going commercial um, in, in, in time for us to to um, be aware whether this is kind of a good VC investment. So, so honestly, we, we, we shy away a little bit from that side. Um, so in, in the really hard research and, and um, technical challenges and mm-hmm. tend to kind of go for the uh, more low hanging fruit, I would say for this fund. Now that definitely might change for the second fund. Uh, if you, if we also kind of change structure and, 
and a few other things. Um, but yes, at the moment, I think I'm, I'm just excited about thinking about yeah, how do we how do we get people to get their 401k money away from fossil fuels, and how would that actually impact the world if everyone did that? Like it's uh, there's they sound like small changes, but actually huge consequences if we can get these things right. Yeah, that makes sense. That that, that that's quite interesting to hear. Um... Uh, to me, the transparency bit is also really keen because I think that I, I've been working in ESG a bit right now, and and it's just very interesting to see how all that really ma- needs to happen is we just need to have these tracking items and make everybody aware of what's going on, and then it puts the power in the consumers, the people who actually care about these things, yeah. and it it will create the change. So that's 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 interesting. Sure. Um, what about um, in terms of with the companies that you invest in? I'm, I'm not really familiar with the talent market in, in the EU, but what are some of the things that uh, the challenges that they've run into with recruiting? Do they do a lot of training in-house? Do they partner with universities? I'm just curious to see the kind of the education slash talent landscape and, and what's being done to change that, because I feel that those are likely challenges that will be faced in the U.S. in the future. Sure. Uh, in terms of recruitment, first of all, I have to say that I think it's amazing that it feels like everyone right now wants to work in climate. Like so many people are just kind of saying that I'm looking for a next opportunity in climate tech or in the climate space in, in general. So actually uh, some of our companies have made amazing uh, uh, recruitments recently, um, well, you know, away from uh, um, non-impact industries, I guess, into this space. And there really seems to be a movement. I mean, recently I had one company that I spoke with yesterday who had a position, a COO position, and they had 1,200 applicants. Uh, and they were just overwhelmed with how many people wanted to kind of work for them. And, and I mean, this is a pre-seed company. So this is not one of those uh, crazy hyped companies that everyone knows about. So. So it really shows that there is definitely a market for this. Um, I still think in, in terms of what you mentioned, in terms of universities and kind of researchers, I still think there's a lot that needs to be done, to be honest. There still isn't um, close enough um, um, partnerships between uh, kind of researchers coming out of universities and understanding how they can start startups and getting the right support and the right investment to actually turn their research and their solutions into companies. Um, now, I am not an expert on who's kind of working in that space, but I do know that there is a lot more to do uh, over there. And, and a lot of the times we even, you know, there's, there's quite a gap between you know, you might get research, you kind of say to you, I have this idea, but they have no idea how the VC space works. They, they don't have the knowledge of kind of how to, how startups work and, and how, uh, how we function and how we invest. Um, so there's this kind of a knowledge gap there where, which we can't necessarily fill. We, of course, try to give some feedback, um, but I think there's a lot of, a lot of um, space there. Um, and I think more can be done in Europe and probably in US as well and, and trying to figure out that we merge these areas in much better ways. And in that, in, and then we could have solutions come out even quicker. Um, and if we, could, if we could really help people at kind of research level also understand how to turn these things into businesses in a much quicker way, um, then that would be great. The other thing, 
just to mention again, I mean, we don't have unlimited time to solve the issues in climate. We don't have the time to sit down and do research for 10 years on a new solution. And then maybe we, we then spend another five years on getting it to market. We have to try to figure out where is the low-hanging fruit? What can we do now? What do we have the knowledge and the capability around? And, and as quickly as possible, try to figure out how to turn that into something. So I also think that this is why we just need to kind of speed up the process. And perhaps there should be a lot more grants. There should be more investment. There should be other invest, investment models that kind of can cater for these type of companies. But also make sure that... They're not, it's not just not grants and investment going into them, but they're actually ready to take on VC funding as they grow. That's another challenge that we find is that um, some, some companies or some funds or incubators that work together with research and universities, they tend to take a lot of equity. I mean, uh, I mm. recently spoke to a company that takes 40, 50% equity at a kind of pre-seed stage and they do help the company. Uh, they do help the company with a lot of things, they help them turn it into a business essentially. But I mean, for us as a VC, we would never come in a seed round when the company has given away 50% of equity because how are they going to continue growing? They don't have enough equity to um, for the founders to have enough incentive as well as for them to take on multiple rounds. So at that point, it's not really VC fundable anymore. And then you're kind of, you've helped the company, but you've also kind of ruined the chances of scaling it to a billion dollar company to some extent. So I think there's mm. definitely more work needed there to make sure those industries are merged and that the companies coming out from these uh, projects can actually be VC funded. Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought about that. I'm not, uh, I wasn't very well versed. That's an interesting concept there. Um, what about um, the, the, the kind of working with the technical people, right? Because I feel like a lot of researchers are really focused on just technology. And again, maybe yeah. the business acumen is kind of not something that they're keen on or not really, you know, paying attention too much. How are you seeing that that's being paired? Um, do you see any kind of uh, a, a just anything in that space, if, if that makes sense, what I'm asking? Um, yeah. Um... That, that's that's the bit where I feel like this is a, if I understand your question correctly, I mean, it really is what kind of support they're getting at that space. Uh, at that, yeah, at that how, time. yeah, basically, how, how can we get people who are very interested by technical solutions to maybe realize that it doesn't have to be perfect, right? We have to get the mm -hmm. basic research and then kind of move on and maybe pair them with a business partner or somebody who's more, sure. uh, you know, business minded to really take that now and actually go make something out of it. Sure. I, I think it does have to be done by kind of having kind of accelerators, which are kind of understand the startup space and how to build these businesses, but, but also be able to take those, those researchers. I mean, there's some good models such as uh, EAF, for example, Entrepreneur First, um, that, that essentially takes highly skilled individuals and, and people sometimes with a high research background and try to help them kind of build businesses and they do it in kind of VC fundable way. So that's, that's great. Um, but I still think that there's, there's so, yeah, there's, there's so much more, uh, to be done here, but I think, I think the first step is actually to really educate them on how this startup space and the VC space works. Now, not, VC is not obviously for everyone. It isn't a model that everyone has to follow. There are ways of building amazing, great companies without taking in VC money or without scaling them as startups, but 
you know, um, kind of growing, whether you grow organically, whether you take other angel investors or other investments on the side, uh, you can obviously do that. But I think VC is a hugely successful model at very quickly um, turning something into something very valuable and just scaling faster um, than, than um, well, just scaling e- extremely fast. Mm-hmm. So I do think that if people would at that level already get the knowledge in how do a startup work and, 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 and is this a way for you to build your company, then maybe that you could kind of get them to accelerate it faster, prevent them from making some of the mistakes in terms of uh, how they um, distribute their equity Mm. at an early stage and really understanding what investors want to see in order for them to kind of grow that as fast as possible. Um, yeah. Then I think we could do make, make a lot of headway in that space to, to get some great uh, technological advancements to market a lot faster. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, I guess maybe just a couple other things here to kind of wrap up with yep. your, with your experience having been very, very interesting from going from founder to building accelerators and now fund, what have been some of the biggest lessons that you would share with other people kind of on this journey? Maybe people who are just super, super passionate and motivated to do something here. Um, maybe they don't know where to start. Maybe they're in university still. What are your biggest pieces of advice and just kind of lessons that you would share? Um, one thing would definitely be that, you know, I think everyone should try to get the experience of doing something themselves to try to figure out what are the biggest problems that they have or that they can be part of solving and then just kind of you know getting your hands dirty just learning from doing just starting to build something or being part of something I think um, we see a huge difference uh, whether it is kind of recruiting for our team or for other investors there's such a huge difference when you see people who've actually done it themselves and people who kind of skip that step because they wanted to be a VC, for example, or, and, and have kind of hustled their ways into this industry. Um, and I feel like there's kind of a, a bit of a kind of knowledge gap there between, between uh, those people sometimes. So I really, I always say to people, look, you don't have to get it right. So you like, you'll learn if you do it, like a, if you do it for a year, you'll learn so much. You try or try for three months, like try to figure out what is the easiest way for me to get this in the market? What is the easy way I could test this? And then just like, you know, watch a lot of, watch a lot of other uh, videos and other people building things, listen to podcasts, try to learn from others and just try to see what could I do if I essentially uh, used my own talents and my skills in the best way possible. Um, and I just think that experiences of more people just becoming solvers uh, of these problems are better. And, and of course, you can always, always just join an early fund. But I think if you want to be in the space of investing, if you want to be in the place of startups in general, um, I think that's, I think that you should just try something first and you should have kind of gone through the journey. And, and then of course you can kind of move your way up, trying to figure out how to kind of change that industry. But, uh, if you lack that knowledge, then I think, um, yeah, we, we might end up with investors who aren't as in touch with what happens on the ground. No, that makes sense. I think that's, um, I appreciate that. That's, that's helpful so, to hear. So, all right, very good. Well, I think, you know, we've, we've covered a lot of things. Um, I guess, any final questions or final thoughts or anything that you want to leave us with? The only thing I would love to say is that I think climate tech is just such an opportunity and such an exciting space right now. So I hope that whether 
people are thinking about building something, that is the space to go into because that's where all the money is going to be going in the future. And and uh, whether you're thinking about just changing um, your direction and what you want to do in your life, then I think there's so many climate tech startups out there recruiting. So I hope people do check out our website, paleblue.vc. Um, and I also check our portfolio companies and who are recruiting because uh, yeah, there's a lot of happening in the space. And uh, and I really hope that more people realize that this is, this is where we should be at the moment. Absolutely. Very good. It's an exciting time. So, so thank you so much for coming on, Heidi. I really appreciate it. And looking forward to seeing all the things that you continue to do, uh, obviously, to see all the portfolio companies start to really succeed. And hopefully some unicorns come out, come out, come out of that as well. So um, looking forward to it. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining on today's episode of the podcast. Really hope you enjoyed the conversation we had today with Heidi as much as I did. And, and as always, we, we hope it provided you value and we hope that there's something in here, some little tidbit that you might want to share with a friend of yours that you that might find this interesting as well. Obviously, always trying to spread the word about what's happening, kind of the economic case, if you will, for why climate tech is, is the way to go beyond simply the reason that, you know, obviously climate change is an extremely difficult challenge that we all face as a society. So I uh, always love to have that shared. And again, wanna as, as before mentioned, want to talk about our, our new sponsors that have been with us for a while now, um, Tiago Energy. So Tiago is um, definitely a very interesting company to check out if you are in the residential um, space for, for energy storage. So dare to be different with Tiago Energy. The leader in module level power electronics from Silicon Valley has revealed the installer-focused energy intelligence residential solar plus battery storage solution. You can learn more by going to tiagoenergy.com. That's T-I-G-O-E-N-E-R-G-Y.com forward slash clean techies for more information. Really recommend checking out their product from everything I've understood from them. Very, very good product and a very good team to work with over there. So again, finally to wrap up, you know, if you have any thoughts, please reach out to me via, you can probably the best way is over over Twitter. You can reach out to me at Silas Maynard. Um, you can join the Slack channel as, as always uh, in the description if you want to be part of the community and join us there. And then, you know, sh again, share with somebody that might find this interesting. We're always curious to hear your feedback and to, to spread the word. So do, do that. Um, again, we've also just had our uh, newsletter go out yesterday uh, for, the, for the, the monthly newsletter with Clean Techies. This time we talked about sustainable, sustainable gift giving, essentially. It's a very um, interesting piece that we put together between Randy and myself. Really interested in that. Some of the, you know, maybe a highlight from that is um, kind of talking about some of the consumer products that we buy. I just personally have bought a pair of uh, nothing new shoes. They're kind of like Converse, but made out of recycled water bottles. So lots of interesting things we looked at there, kind of go into a little bit more technical depth. And, and it's very, very exciting and very fulfilling to write that. So please do so there. And then you, again, you can support the show by going to the buy me a coffee link in the description. And yeah, until next time, we will see you again on the podcast.